Take your Bibles and turn to the 19th Psalm. We're in the 19th Psalm today, and uh, this is our 10th message in this study, a series of messages. This is my story, this is my psalm, and we've been looking at the different psalms, and not going in any specific order, just as the Lord leads from a psalm to psalm, uh, and uh, Two Sundays ago, we were most recently studying Psalm 86. Psalm 86 is considered one of the five prayer psalms, and we use that chapter as a guide to prayer, or how to pray. And uh, today I want us to consider what I consider to be one of the most beautiful psalms, Psalm 19. Uh, It's not my number one favorite. I've already shared that one with you, Psalm 61, but it is one of my favorite psalms, the 19th Psalm. And I want to consider this thought with you this morning, the declaration of God, the declaration of God, and we'll break our thoughts down into two primary thoughts, and it'll be number one, God's revelation to man, God's revelation to man, and then man's response to God. God's revelation to man and man's response to God. The 19th Psalm is attributed to David, if you see in your scriptures there. And David begins to write this psalm with nature in view. We'll read it in just a moment, but he's speaking of the the atmosphere, the, the heavens, the firmament, these are skies and what we would see there. And so that gives us some insight of when this may have been written. And it could have been written at any time during David's life. Obviously, he could have been thinking of this. But perhaps some have thought that perhaps it was written as with David as a soldier. And he's out there on the battlefield and wakes up during the night and views the skies, and some have suggested that may be the time. And others have suggested perhaps we even go further back to the days of David as a young shepherd boy. And that's where I'm going to take my thoughts from, and whether that's 100% correct or not. But think about David as this young shepherd boy in the wilderness, just David, his sheep, and his God. I imagine this young shepherd boy rising early in the morning, well before the sun has risen. You've been out in the camping somewhere far from the city lights. It doesn't get much more beautiful or peaceful than when you can look up into the skies and it's a clear night and to see the handiwork of God, to look up and to see the stars. And I imagine David waking up as this shepherd boy and and his eyes adjusting to the night sky and, and looking up and seeing this great work before him of the stars. And perhaps he would do like you and I have done and try to find the different constellations. And I can only find the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. I can't find any of those other things, but... And that even takes me a while, and someone oftentimes has to show those to me. But, you know, to look at the, the constellations, to look at these things, and, and David realizes God is revealing himself. To, God is revealing himself to David through his creation. And David has what I would call a moment with God, as God shares with David. Could I speak to you for just a moment about 
those times when God just has a moment with you? I'm not talking about anything where I say God appears to you or anybody else in, the, in, in, in a sense that you could see him physically or even hear his voice audibly. But I know there have been times in my life where God is, well, he's reached down and had a moment with me in my heart. I, I sat back and I meditated on this for some time in preparation for this message of those moments that God has intervened and, and, and revealed himself to me. I, I guess the one that maybe stood out to me most in preparation for this was when I had just graduated college. In fact, the night of my Bible college graduation, I was in this little Bible college in Ohio called Maslin Baptist College. Had spent my, uh, my time there, had graduated that night. They had the ceremony and I only lived about an hour, hour and a half from there, so my family and my parents and my siblings and their children, they were, there was a lot of people there in 1994. We had the graduation, we had the, the ceremony or the, the reception afterwards, and, and then I had already packed up my car, my 1977 Chevy Impala that I painted all by myself. And you could tell I painted it all by myself. It was a sight. We took that, we moved to New Hampshire in it, and the teenagers of our youth group nicknamed it the Blue Cheese. And uh, because that's the color I painted, an ugly blue, and they called it the Blue Cheese. But anyways, I packed up that car, and I was driving home by myself that night, leaving college two weeks before my marriage, Life was starting to really change and change quickly. And typically what I would do when I was driving, I'd turn on sports radio, talk radio, and I'd listen to that. But that night I turned off the radio and I began as I drove to pour my heart out to God. God, here I am getting done with this stage of my life and getting ready to move into some new stages of my life. And and there was anxiety, there was fear, there was the unknown. And all I can say, again, there was no audible voices. I did not see God sit down next to me in any fashion, but I know in my heart God gave me a moment with him. As he began to talk to me in my heart and minister to me. And I can imagine David in that that early morning, dark night, looking up into the skies and having this moment. And God's revelation to man is laid out to us here. David, the son comes out, and perhaps he takes out his scrolls, his parchments, his quill, and he's going to have his time with God. Those early morning thoughts with God. Then he writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these first six verses. Would you read these with me and imagine David in this setting? The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. That just means the expanse, even the things beyond what we could see. David would look as far as he could and and realize there was far more. He says, day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. He's saying yesterday it was like this, and today it's like this, and tomorrow it will be like this. Day unto day, night unto night. 
There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out, gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he hath set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit from unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. David then perhaps rolls up or rolls out his scroll and begins to read the law. And after reading the law and meditating on what, what he has seen and what he has now read, once again he's inspired and now he writes about the law. Look with me in verse number 7 down through verse 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he pens these words, and he declares God's word to be perfect, to be sure, to be clean, to be true. He declares that God's word is able to convert the soul, able to make the simple man a wise man. He's able to rejoice the heart, enlighten the eyes, that God's word endures forever and is righteous altogether. That God's word is far more valuable than gold or sweeter than honey. These 11 verses that David has penned for us, they show us two things. They show us God's general revelation in the first six verses, and then God's special revelation in verses 7 through 11. Uh, the general revelation, we, we recognize God's general revelation in the world, and His special revelation through God's Word. This word revelation means God revealing himself to man. We see in Psalm 19 that God has revealed himself to mankind through his creation and through his written word. Notice again with me about the creation. Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, verse 1. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter the speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. Now get verse 3. I love this thought. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out throughout all the earth. And their words, the heavens, the firmament, their words to the end of the world. In them he hath set up a tabernacle for the sun. No matter where you go in this world, the heavens declare the glory of God. And there is not a language that that cannot be understood in. Wherever you're at, you look and it declares the glory 
of God. It's the general revelation. It's his, it's his uh, revealing himself through the world and through his creation. And then God goes beyond that and he gives us his revealing of himself through his word. And all those things that David said about it. In verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous are altogether. Listen, this is God revealing himself to man through his word. Without a doubt, God has been careful to reveal himself to mankind day by day, night by night, throughout all the world, and through his word. What has man done with that? We'll be back here in, in Psalm 19 in just a moment, but would you turn with me to Romans chapter 1? Romans chapter number 1. Notice verse number 20 with me this, this morning. We'll read down through verse 25 or so. It says, For the invisible things of him, this is speaking of God, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. So he's echoing, Paul is echoing what David has declared in Psalm 19 verses 1 through 3. From the creation of the world, the things of God are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We have this, this, this fundamental fact here that no man will be able to stand before God and have an excuse of why they rejected God. The creation cries out that there's a creator. And they will stand before God and, and, and every man will and no one will have an excuse. Because, here's the reason, that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Remind you that Psalm 14, verse 1 says, The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And many in this world have claimed there is no God in the, in the name of academia, in the name of, of smarts, of education. And truly they are fools, those that claim there is no God. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. They wanted some type of imagery. They chose to worship this image rather than God. For this reason, God, it says in verse 24, also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. 
Now, this has been going on since the days of Paul, but we certainly do see it well in action today, the days that we live in. Man rejecting God, choosing to believe there is no God, although creation cries out for it, his word cries out for it. We can look beyond that. Our conscience cries out for it. Brass, let's do that. Go back to Romans. I turned away. Maybe you didn't. Look at Romans chapter number 2. The word cries out that there's a creator the, the world cries out, but also your conscience. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not a law, do by nature things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the works of the law written in their, uh, their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile ex- accusing or else excusing one another. You realize written in your heart and your conscience is this fact that it's wrong to murder. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to lie. God hardwired you that way. God put that in all of us and that it's in our hearts that way. God has revealed himself from within and from without and through his word. And yet man has rejected God. Now, not, of course, not all men, but man has, in general has rejected God, although God has revealed himself to, God, to man. David recognizes this. He's, he sits there in that early morning and he looks at the, the creation before him and says, there is a God. He, 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 he then reads the word and he, he writes of it and says, there is a God. And so David Spends much time here in Psalm 19 on God's revelation to man. But then he concludes it here in verses 12 through 14 back in Psalm 19. And he shows us how man should respond to God. David now just considering the world and God's word. He says these things in verses 12, 13, and 14. He says, who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. After considering, meditating, being inspired to write about God's revelation to man, David now turns to some personal applications. And David recognizes himself for what he is. Verses 12, 13, and 14 all deal with sin. The the problem with man is that we are sinners. He speaks of a private sin in verse number 12. Who can understand his errors and cleanse thou me from secret faults? He speaks of the presumptuous or public sin in verse number 13. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous. This is arrogancy. This is, uh, this is that, that prideful that just, just publicly mocks these things and does these things. And then he speaks of the pharisaical sin in verse number 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You ever say something with your mouth, but in your heart you didn't mean it? 
You ever say one thing and live another way? That's a pharisaical type thing where the heart does not match the mouth. Let me remind you today that sin is always the problem, whether private, public, or pharisaical. And so David cries out to the only one that can help him. He says, oh Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. David cries out that the Lord would answer his prayer, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. When he speaks of strength here, David is speaking of a picture here. This word strength pictures the Lord as a great rock. A rock of stability, a rock of a, of a, of a foundation, something he could rely upon, something he could throw his anchor into, something that he could grab hold of that would not move. He is his strength, and then he is his redeemer. This word redeemer here that David uses, it's the same word that we get the word kinsman from. Now that might or might not be familiar to you, kinsmen. It's a word that it's related to kinfolk, someone you're related to. But David would be familiar with the word kinsman and the thought of kinsmen. For it was his great-grandfather, a man named Boaz, that played out the role of a kinsman redeemer when he bought and paid for the rights to a lady named Ruth. Would bring her into his family as his wife, and he would be the great-grandfather, and she would be the great-grandmother to King David. And David would understand the word redeemer and kinsman. Of course, there's none greater picture of a kinsman, of a redeemer, than Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for my sin through his death, burial, and resurrection, and by that providing eternal salvation to anyone that will call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God reveals himself to man through the world and through the word, but then it is man's responsibility to respond. I shared with you in Romans chapter 1 how much of the world has responded. They have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. They have, they have said, that's not what I want. And it's not because they're smart. It's because they want to be their own God. It's not because they're smarter than we are or more educated than we are. It's because they want to be, they do not want to submit themselves to somebody else. And that's where it all comes down to, church. My friends that are here today, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you must submit to God. God made it very clear there's only one way to come to Him, and that is through Jesus Christ. We live in a day of relativism, where people want to choose their own way to God. They want to make their own way right with God. And God does not work in relativism. He works in the way that He has shared and what He has given through His Word. And so this morning, I wanted you to consider how God has revealed himself to you. And then I want to ask you today, how have you responded to God? What has been this response from you to God? 
Have you received him as your savior? Have you made him the Lord of your life? Have you submitted yourself to him? Are you living in this this age of trying to make yourself right with God your way, your efforts, or by surrendering to the Lord Jesus? Let me share with just a few more thoughts. In Romans chapter number 3, God reveals to us that we are all sinners. Every one of us. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You and I are sinners. It doesn't matter the the depth of our sin. It doesn't matter the type of our sin. The reality is that every one of us are sinners. And there's a penalty for our sin according to chapter number 6 of Romans, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. The penalty, the cost for my sin is death. And that word death is a thought of separation. To be separated from God because of my sin. Ultimately separated from Him forever because of death and hell. Separated from the Lord. I'm a sinner. My sin separates me from God. And oh, I thank God for this verse, Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Last Monday morning, or excuse me, last Tuesday morning, I shared a devotion with our staff with those thoughts there of God's love for us and that realization of when it hits us. And, and I did that in a, in a fact that I wanted, we, we prayed for our teenagers this week and those that would be under the preaching of, of this last week would come to that point where they would recognize that they're a sinner, that their sin separates them from God, but then they would realize God loved them. And he loved them so much that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for them, to be buried and to rise again and to be victorious over sin and over death, providing a means of salvation for each and every person, to recognize that love. Several years ago, I was preaching at a Christian school chapel down outside of Elizabethtown, Kentucky. And I was preaching this chapel and uh, gave an invitation. I think one girl came forward to the altar that morning. And, and uh, it was a good chapel service. The Lord was working in hearts, but only one young lady responded. And, and then I had a meeting with some men there at that church afterwards. And uh, chapel was over. Everybody went back to their classes. I went to this meeting. And maybe 15 minutes or 20 minutes after chapel, the principal came and knocked on the door and he asked me if I would come out and he said, listen, since chapel, uh, it seems like there's been quite a few kids challenged by your message and we've got about 20 or 30 kids that have come to the office wanting to talk to somebody about, make sure they're truly saved. He says, we wonder if you would talk to them in this next period, in about 30 minutes from then. And he goes, there'll be maybe 20 or 30 kids at this meeting And I said, I'd absolutely love to talk to them. And so I did. And they were 7th through 12th graders. And there was about 25 kids that came into that meeting. And I did. I just shared with them the simple gospel message. I shared it with them who were sinners. That there's a penalty for our sin. 
And I remember I was talking about our sin and what we were and how it was going to separate us from God forever. And I remember there was this one young girl here, maybe 7th or 8th grade, and she was looking at me that morning and following me intently. And as I was driving home those points of our reality of us being a sinner, I could see hopelessness in her eyes. I could see as it was clicking with her, I'm in big trouble. I'm a sinner and I'm going to be separated from God forever. But then when I took them to Romans chapter 5, and I shared with her verse number 8, to this group, Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I had been telling them, number one, we're sinners. Number two, there's a penalty for our sin and it's death and hell. And when I hit number three, I said, I want you to say this, God loves me. And I happened to catch my eye on that young lady and I saw her go from hopelessness to hope. And she says, God loves me. God loves me. I want you to know today, I don't care who you are, what you've done, God loves you. We're sinners. We're all sinners, and our sin separates us from God. And yet God loves you, and he loved you so much that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you, and then to rise again for you because he loves you. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I was grateful for that morning for that girl and for about 15 other kids that called out to the Lord and asked the Lord to save them that day. Listen, this morning, here, what is this, the 23rd or 24th of October? 2022, God's revealing himself to you. He reveals himself through creation, through his word, through the conscience, as we looked at that today. How will you respond, man, woman, young person? How will you respond today? Will you cry out to God, O Lord, my strength, my redeemer? Will you choose to do as Romans chapter 1 describes, a man that rejects God? You're here today and you know Christ is your Savior. Aren't you so glad that he revealed himself to you and that you chose him? Oh, today, may that cause us to live our lives in a way of appreciation and gratefulness and faithfulness to God. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ, oh, I'd ask you today to turn your heart to him. Make sure your words match your heart, but turn to him today. We'd love to share with you how you can know Christ as your Savior this morning. And Christian, perhaps it's time just to get that that renewal in your heart of what God did for you. And because of what he did for you, you'll live for him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. God revealed himself to man, and now man must respond to God. How will you respond? Will you admit that you're a sinner today and that your sin separates you from God? But that God loves you. If you're here today without Christ as your Savior, He's willing to save you. 
He's willing to take you as you are and redeem you and make you one of his own. Father, I pray now that you'd use this invitation moment. Father, that you would work in hearts and lives beyond what I could ever do, Lord. Lord, that you would speak to people's hearts today, God, and they would respond by faith. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today that does not know Christ as their Savior, Lord, that today would be the day that they respond to you, put their faith in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, I pray that we'd be obedient to you during this invitation hour in Jesus' name. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I wonder today, how many of you can say, Pastor, I know God has revealed himself to me. And there's a time in my life when I responded to him by faith and I received Christ as my Savior. If you're here today and you know you're saved, you've been born again, the Lord's your Savior, say, I know that today and I lift my hand up as a testimony to the Lord. I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. Can you do that today with an uplifted hand? Thank you very much. We appreciate that. I wonder today if there's someone here today that says, Pastor, I've never done that. I've never put my faith in Jesus Christ. I've never received Christ as my Savior, but I'd like to know more about it. Listen, I won't come to you today. I won't, I won't call your name out. I won't recognize you publicly, but I'd love to pray for you. Would there be anybody say, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure that I've been born again, but the Lord's working in my heart. I can feel and sense Him revealing Himself to me. And here's my hand. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all today? Thank you. I see that hand. You may put it down. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Listen, if the Lord's working in your heart, we want to encourage you. There are folks here that love you. We'd love to take God's word and share with, show, with you, show you how you can know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Father, now take this invitation. Use it for your honor and your glory in Jesus' name. As our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, would you stand this morning and as the piano begins to play, if the Lord spoke to your heart. It's an opportunity for you to respond. We have some folks here that would pray with you, that would take you to a private place and share the gospel with you. Perhaps today you're saved, you're born again, and you want to thank God for what he's done for you. How he revealed himself to you. Made you one of his own. His own. 